Welcome to the Skyline SIB podcast. We're so grateful that you're taking time to tune in from your busy schedule. We hope that this message encourages and inspires you wherever you are listening from. What a joy uh, to be bringing you the whole series on the, the Kingdom of God. We're continuing this series. This is the fourth in our series on the Kingdom of God. And in the coming weeks, <clears throat> we're going to take Jesus' parable, uh, parables on the Kingdom uh, so that you can have many, many facets of the Kingdom of God uh, coming through. But today, I want to speak about kingdom life. Somebody say kingdom life. Um, And you know, I don't know about you, but do we live in a great country? Do you enjoy living in Malaysia? I hear many people say that Malaysia is the best country in the world. Well, polls have been done. And unfortunately, we don't fall into the category of the happiest nation in the world. No, which nation do you think is the happiest nation on earth? Well, you hope it's Malaysia, but actually it is the nation of Finland, okay? And, and the Finnish people are blessed. They have a very good health system. <clears throat> they got no natural disasters. They connect well in the communities and uh, relationally with each other. Uh, they got a very great welfare system. They got beautiful natural scenery. They love the outdoor life and they are very, very happy. Uh, and you would have guessed this by now because when Jesus died on the cross, he did say, it is finished. So, you know, they are blessed to be the, the wonderful people on earth, the happiest people on earth. But whatever kingdom or nation we may be in, every nation has an expiry date. But there is one kingdom that has no expiry date. It is a kingdom full of joy. It is a kingdom that is linked to eternity. It is a kingdom that begins today. It is a kingdom that starts not in the physical realm, but it starts in the spiritual realm and is actualized in our experiences, in our hearts. It is the kingdom of God. It is a realm where Jesus reigns. That's where the the kingdom of God is. It's not a physical territory because when Pontius Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus' reply was, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not from here. That's John 18 verse 36. So we know it is not in the physical realm. So where is it then? Where is it? It is in our hearts. I'm reiterating what has been said in the last few Sundays. It is in our hearts. Somebody says hearts. Okay. The kingdom of God, if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and King and Master, the kingdom of God is in your hearts. Jesus said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. For the kingdom of God is within you. Turn to your neighbor and say, the kingdom of God is within you. But although the kingdom of God is within us, and although it is here, the Bible tells us the kingdom of God has three tenses. It exists in three senses and has three tenses. Firstly, It exists in the past. The kingdom of God came. Secondly, it exists in the present. The kingdom of God has come. And thirdly, the kingdom of God will be in the future. The kingdom of God will come. Now, I just want to draw this uh, for us so that we may understand, although we experience the present reality of the kingdom of God, It is part and parcel of a continuum that began at creation. 
See, the kingdom of God came in the past when God finished creation. He was the ruler of all creation. Somebody say amen. But then he passed the authority and the domain of rulership to his peak creation, which is man. And he said to man, you know, I give you authority and domain over all of creation. And you hold it, you have the authority. You reign and you rule in creation. But then Adam fell into sin. He was deceived by the devil. And as a result of that, that authority and that domain was passed to, 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 the, to the enemy. That's why Satan is called the prince of the power of the air. He is called the ruler of this world. Jesus, in fact, calls uh, Satan the ruler of this world. John chapter 12, verse 36. He's called the prince of the power of the air in Ephesians 2, verse 2. And so we know that in the created world, where we see right now, both in the artificial man-made world, as well as the natural world, there is a force of darkness that reigns. And ever since the time that Adam sinned, that reign, that rule has been passed into the powers of darkness. Although God has an overall plan for the all of creation. So what God did after that was that he began to reveal himself to a people. And that people was the Jews, the nation of Israel. And the whole idea was to reveal himself through laws and through his manifestations and through his um, <clears throat> through his. Um, uh, miracles and his works so that the people of God would walk in obedience to God and worship him. And as a result of the blessings that would come on them, then the rest of the world, the rest of the Gentile world would centrifugally just go towards Israel and eventually come to worship God. But that could not be achieved because Israel walked in disobedience. And so the whole plan was demolished. So somewhere in the Old Testament, when that plan went awry, God began to speak through his prophets, like the prophet Isaiah and the prophet Zechariah, that one day he would send a ruler whose kingdom would rule over all. And that ruler would come in a, in a conquering a king who would conquer the powers of darkness. And at the same time, this ruler would take on the form of a humble suffering servant who would come to his people riding on a donkey. This dual imagery just baffled the nation of Israel. How can a, a conquering king, a ruler who is militant, actually come as a humble, suffering servant riding on a donkey? This was fulfilled when Jesus came. What the prophet said was fulfilled when Jesus came. Because when Jesus came, he came to engage and to invade the powers of darkness. Somebody say amen. So he came to overtake the kingdom that was existing. The kingdom of darkness. His words when he came and announced his public ministry was, the kingdom of God is here. <clears throat> Repent and believe in the gospel. That's Mark 1 verse 15. The kingdom of God is here. And the moment he said that, he was confronted by evil, a demonized man in the synagogue who screamed and confronted him. What have you to do with us? You know, we be, our time has not yet come. And Jesus had to silence the demonic powers right now and cast them out. That was a manifestation of his kingdom presence. The kingdom of God has come. So now the kingdom of God has come. And now where does it rule? It rules in the hearts of everyone who has received him as his Lord and Savior. But if the kingdom of God has come, 
Why is there still so much darkness and evil and violence and wickedness in the world today? That's because the kingdom of God has not yet come in its fullness. It's come in its partiality. But one day, Jesus will come back and there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And He will rule forever and ever. And we will reign with Him. Somebody say, Amen. And the enemy will be cast into the lake of fire and bound so that he cannot wield destruction anymore. And that is the kingdom that is to come. And last year, we covered that whole area on the Future Is Now series. And you may remember Pastor Rachel preached on what's new in all things new. He was talking about new heaven, new earth. We will rule with Jesus in the future kingdom that is going to come. But today, I want to speak about the kingdom life now. What does kingdom life now look like? What are the distinctives? What are the guardrails? What are the things that actually compose? What is the content of kingdom life now? Because we are in the kingdom of God. So what does it look like? Well, the first thing, I want to say five things about kingdom life today. The first is this. Our kingdom entry is by new birth. The entry into God's kingdom is by being born again by faith. It's a new birth, okay? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 tells us this. Let's read it aloud. Everyone go. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That means we are born again through faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And that faith to believe and trust in Jesus is even given to us. It's by grace you have been saved through faith. Not of our works. And therefore, we are born that by birth into the kingdom of God. It's not by our education. It's not by our racial backgrounds or ethnicity. It's not by our pedigree, what kind of family we come from. It's not by our net worth or wealth or our station in life or our, our stature in society or status in society. None of that. It's everything to do with the fact that you were born again. The day you open your heart to Jesus, He came into your life and you cry, Abba, Father, you're born again. You're born again. And you're born into the kingdom of God. That's the entry point. Nothing else will do. You're not born in the kingdom of God because, you know, you came from a Christian family. You're not born in the kingdom of God because you go to church. You're not born in the kingdom of God because you know certain religious rituals or you can recite the prayer book. You're not born. You're born into the kingdom of God by the new birth through Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. Let me tell you a story, what, what, illustrate what, what this means. In 1996, I was flying from Hong Kong to London. And at that time, it was the year before 1997, when Hong Kong was going to be handed over back to mainland China. And many people were exiting Hong Kong. They're fleeing Hong Kong because they were not quite sure what Hong Kong would be like after the Chinese government uh, takes over. So, uh, many people were getting foreign passports. Now, I was on a flight and uh, sitting next to a, a, a lady who began engaging me in Cantonese. She couldn't speak English. And eventually, she pulled out a passport and showed it to me. And that passport was a British passport. You know, a passport of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. And I said, wow, that's incredible. How do you get this passport? You're British. She said, yeah, I'm British, but... Uh, I, I, don't speak, I don't speak English. I said, how come? She was born in Britain under a, a rule and a law at that time which allowed her to be a British citizen if you're born on, on British soil. 
But from young, she, had, she went to live in Hong Kong. So she didn't speak a word of English. She only could speak Cantonese. Uh, she was not very well off, not very well to do, not very well, not educated largely, okay? And she needed help, especially when we landed in Heathrow, London. She needed help because she couldn't read out the signs. So I, I helped her during that time. And all the time I was wondering as she came to immigration and she just sailed through um, the, the, the British passport uh, aisle. She just walked through uh, with that passport. I thought to myself, what is it? Well, that, that's a fact. She was born. She couldn't speak a word of English. She doesn't know British culture. Um, she has no idea. She was never educated there. But for me, I spent many years in England. I was educated there. I understand British culture to some extent. You know, I have many British friends. I've worked there. I've lived there. But I'm not British. I can't get a passport. The only thing that will qualify me for the passport is Beth. It doesn't matter whether you can speak English or not. Whether you Cantonese is your only language. It doesn't matter what your net worth is. You need to be born there. And that is exactly what Jesus says to us. My kingdom is like this. It's got one door and one door only. The only way you can come into that door is you must be born again. You must open the door of your hearts and ask Jesus to come into your life. Somebody say amen. And believe by faith He died on the cross for your sins and took your sins away. And that's how you qualify to come into the kingdom of God. Jesus said to Nicodemus, what is born of the flesh is flesh. What is born of the spirit is spirit. You must be born again. That is the only way in. Here's the second thing. When you come into a kingdom, there is a culture within the kingdom. The kingdom culture, what's the culture of the kingdom? What's it like? You know, in Malaysia, we have a culture. You live long enough, you know, you think that's the only culture in the world. But of course, every nation, every people have their own cultures. But you know, we're so comfortable with the culture in Malaysia. We don't realize even sometimes there's a culture here. And it's a very mixed culture of many races and many cultural groups and so on. Uh, but you know, when people outside come and they're trying to figure out the culture of Malaysia, it's a little bit confusing for them. But we live here, so it's, not, it's so natural. It's almost like a fish in the water. We don't even know we're wet. You know, because we were so naturally in, in the culture. So what does kingdom culture look like? What preoccupies us culturally? You know, uh, if you look at uh, in, in Britain, what, what's their culture? Well, what occupies them culturally? Well, one of them is the weather. They always talk about the weather. You know, in Singapore, they always talk about money or exams. Okay, it's exams and money. And talk money and exams, you know, how to make more money. You know, in other parts of the world, they may talk about other things. Uh, but in Malaysia, one of our cultural preoccupation, what is it? It is food. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's talking about you. It is food. And you know, everybody, especially our friendly uh, neighbors across the causeway, they want to sometimes uh, take our food and say, it is their food. And they, were, they, they promoted the tourists all over the world. For example... Uh, chili crabs, they say, is Singaporean. Is that true? No. See, those of you know that it's not, it's not true. The Singaporeans here have another opinion, okay? All due apologies to Singaporeans if you're watching online, okay? But uh, chili crab is Malaysian. Somebody say amen. What about, you know, what about nasi lemak? Is it Singaporean or Malaysian? Malaysian. You have your Singaporean? Listen, is it Singaporean or Malaysian? You got it. It's Malaysian. And sometimes they want to claim nasi lemak. They now even want to claim our satay. 
Is satay Malaysian or Singaporean? Malaysian. They said, no, 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 no. In Singapore, we've got pork satay. We also got pork satay here. <clears throat> and durians? Ah. They don't, they have no argument. That one they know is Malaysians. Because all the durians in Singapore, nearly 90% of them come from Malaysia. No argument that one. That one, no argument. How many of you love durians here? Well, I see all these hands up. You know, the rest of you, if you don't live, love durians, I feel sorry for you. You're not going to enjoy heaven because the tree of life that's in Revelation 22, the Lord told me is durian tree. Okay, up in heaven, okay? So you have to navigate. But you know, I, I know how many of you know how to choose durians? Can I see your hands? Not many people. But you know, I'll tell you how to choose Mao San Wang. Because last week after Pastor Jared preached here, um, he was from Singapore, uh, we brought him out at night and uh, we went to eat durians. And we went to the stall that sold Mao San Wang. I looked at it, I knew it was Mao San Wang. It's a big durian. And you know how you know Mao San Wang? You flip the durian and look at its bottom. And if this bottom has this star, this cross, this many, very clear star, okay, it is almost certainly Musang King. Uh, now you know. If somebody claims it's Musang King, but they don't have this, and it's very, you know, very weak lines, it's not Musang King. So I've saved you some money now. Turn to your neighbor, say, now I know. And so, I, we, we got that durians, and we had a wonderful feast. Uh, incidentally, I just want to make sure, it was not on church money, okay? <laughs> Elder Sylvester paid for it. And that big Musang King cost us over 225 ringgit. Wow. So, we was, was fantastic. But that same stall, and then Musang King there. It was a store that I went to, you know, before the pandemic when there were lots of tourists from China. That same store, that guy who, who, at that store, he was also selling a lot of Musang King. But I knew a lot of them that were not Musang King. But you know, what do many of our tourists know? Sometimes they come and say, they, they want to eat Musang King. And so, you know, some of these durian vendors, they say, actually, they know how to speak. Mandarin also, although they are Bahasa speaking, they know how to speak Mandarin. So they buy I came to the store three years before the pandemic, three years ago before the pandemic. And I look at everybody, all these tourists buying, and I turn and look at him and say, I say, Ini bukan Musang King. He said, Shh. Yeah, jangan buat kuat kuat lah, bising. Yeah, yeah. Kalau mau, saya boleh tunjuk di belakang di sini. So he brought me to the back where there was Musang King. Well, we want to be honest to our tourists. Somebody say, Amen. So, you know. At least now, you can be honest and you know how to choose your good Musang King. Somebody say, Amen. If you don't like durians, forget about what I said. You know, you only have my sympathies right now. But right now, everybody laughs at this because it's our cultural preoccupation. Food is our cultural preoccupation. What is the cultural preoccupation of the kingdom of God? How can we, what, what is it that encapsulates the culture of the kingdom of God? It is the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount, we've gone through the Sermon on the Mount before. Two years ago, we preached on a whole series on the Sermon on the Mount, and including the Beatitudes. If you're not listening to it, go and listen to the, the, the YouTube a Sermon on the Mount. But let me just encapsulate it very quickly, the Sermon on the Mount. What the standards are, what the culture is, what does God expect of His people in terms of their conduct, their behavior, the, the, the cultural core values that they must hold if they're in the kingdom of God. Well, there are some of them enunciated and and. And summarize, don't murder. Oh, I don't murder. But, but even if you are angry, 
insulted. You've killed somebody. Wow. Somebody say, wow. Well, you're not. Well, say somebody say, wow. I, if you can do that, you don't have to say wow. You know? But if, you, if you, you never get angry or insult somebody, then you don't have to say wow. But if you are guilty of angry, being angry and insulting somebody, say wow. Yeah. Don't murder, but that Jesus says, not, not that. Just, uh, you're angry and insulted. You know, you're broken. The culture. Don't judge or hate people who think differently from us. Somebody say wow. Don't lose your distinctive assault and light. We're here to keep a society from decaying. And alleviate suffering. So whenever there's suffering, there's pain, there's, there's, there's crisis, you know, there's devastation. Jesus said, my people will be always there. Somebody say, wow. Those are high standards. And Jesus went on and said, don't swear at all. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Even the off-the-cuff remarks, you know, make sure you're careful about what you say because it makes, make sure you say it as though your, your hand was swearing on a whole stack of Bibles. Yes, it is be the truth. Why? Because it's after our hearts. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Somebody say, wow. Don't have sex outside marriage. Jesus said, if you look upon, but that, that people say, wow, that's it. Uh, no, Jesus says, if you look on someone with lust, we've already committed adultery. Somebody say, wow. That's high standards, man. And he says, don't give your bodies to someone unless we're prepared to give our entire life in a covenant relationship with someone. In other words, don't be physically naked unless you're prepared to be personally naked in a covenantal relationship. Wow, those are high standards. Then he says, love your enemies. And when they slap you, turn the other cheek. Doesn't mean that you're always passively receiving. It does mean that when you come back to your enemy and you love them, even though they have offended you, even though they have done things that have been destructive to you, you turn the other cheek and decide not to retaliate. And take revenge. Somebody say, wow. Okay. Give to the poor without anyone knowing. And in so doing, you won't patronize the poor. Because nobody knows. Not even the poor. And in so doing, you honor the poor. You respect them. Because they don't know who gave. Don't store up riches on earth. Otherwise, money becomes God. That's right. And Jesus said, your hidden prayer life is a true measure of intimacy with God. It's not, this is it. What you do in the quiet before God, your hidden closet prayer life, is a measure of your intimacy. All these things, Jesus says, are the kingdom values. These are the core values that make up the kingdom culture. That's what he said. And the moment we come to understand what the kingdom culture is, we feel absolutely terrorized and devastated and shattered. Why? Because not one of us can live up to the standards. Not one of us qualify to be in a, in a kingdom of God where the culture is like that. We cannot reach it. It's far too high a mountain to climb in kingdom culture. There's no way we can get there. And it drives us to God for mercy. It drives us to, to Him to forgive us. It drives us to our way out. It drives us to a Savior. And that is what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. God wants to use the Sermon on the Mount to tell us, this is my culture in my kingdom, so that we will be driven to know that we can never achieve it. And the only reason why we still remain within the kingdom is because of a divine, unchangeable, fundamental principle that God Himself created and God Himself made and by which He abides without breaking. And that is the whole principle of grace. That means we are here 
and we have not been evicted from the kingdom. We have not been kicked out because we, we can't qualify because of grace upon our lives. So if kingdom entry is by the new birth through faith and kingdom culture is the Sermon on the Mount, then the kingdom constitutions, constitution that holds us against the law that judges us is grace. Grace. And what is grace? Well, we all know that grace is unmerited favour. God's unmerited favour on us. By the way, is Malaysia, is a nation of Malaysia, you know, under grace? Do, do, can somebody say an amen? Do you believe it's under grace? You know, many things can go wrong with our nation. It could have gone wrong in our nation. Many things did go wrong with our nation. And things could have gone from bad to worse. There's so many, you know, areas that could have just uh, catalyzed into something quite destructive for our nation. So many things could have gone wrong historically in near history and in the past history. So many things. And yet here we are today. We are still alive. Somebody say amen. So soft. Are you alive? We are still alive. Somebody say amen. We are still doing well as a nation. Somebody say amen. Economically, we're still growing. Somebody say amen. We're still living in harmony. Amen. We still have freedom in this nation. Amen. We're still blessed. Amen. We still have a government that's responsible. Somebody say amen. Isn't that good? How did it come about? You know, we should have totally, you know, disintegrated. Looking at what, the way things have gone in the past. It's grace. That's why this our nation is under grace. If you live in Malaysia, you would understand grace. Somebody say amen. You would understand grace. And you know, if you compare Malaysians with uh, other nations around us, or somebody did a comparison with three other nations, Malaysia compared to Singapore, mainland China, and the Philippines. That is what they found. They found Singaporeans. What is the trademark? Singaporeans, very smart. Mainland Chinese, especially those who live in the big cities, very rich. What about the Filipinos? Very playful. What about Malaysians? All three of those. But with a difference. Malaysians are all three of these, but with this proviso. They are smart, but not so smart. They are rich, but not so rich. And they are playful, but not so playful. And we are all under grace. Somebody say amen to that. That's our kingdom constitution. The kingdom constitution tells us that grace is God's unmerited, unearned favor to us. What's the difference between grace and mercy? Well, you all know. Mercy is not de de deserving the punishment. It's not getting the punishment we deserve. That's mercy. What is grace? Grace is getting favor, blessings, enrichment, prosperity, stature, you know, everything that we actually do not deserve. We don't even remotely begin to deserve it. It's almost like there's an over compensation, over to the point that it becomes absolutely ridiculous. That's the scandal of grace. It's like supposing I owe somebody, uh, you know, a thousand ringgit. And then later on, and I've been avoiding that person for the last six months. Because I said I would pay, but I, I, I didn't pay and I didn't have enough money to pay. You know what? Every time I see the person on the street, I, I just walk the other side. I just pretend I don't see, you know. I, I want to avoid that person in church. Or I want to avoid person in the workplace. I just want to avoid. I don't want to see the person because I feel guilt. I feel condemned. I feel ashamed. I, I just feel. And then one day I found out 
that for some reason my father paid. And not only paid that person the 1,000, but he paid that person 100,000. Why did my father do that? Because he loved me and he just wants to do that and show that his love for me. But that's ridiculous. It is. That's how ridiculous it is. And once, you know, I know my father has paid 100,000. Do you know what? Not only do the shame and condemnation gone when I see that person, I walk straight up to him and say, you're blessed, man, because of my father. Wow, I owed him a thousand for the last six months. I couldn't pay. Now I tell him, you're blessed. Where did that come from? Came from grace and overpayment. And Jesus overpaid, you understand? He took away your shame, your guilt. Not just your sin, but your shame, your guilt, your condemnation. That's why we can hold our head high and walk and say, I am greatly blessed, highly favoured, and deeply loved. Somebody say, Amen. It's like a, a man who's on death row in the jail. And when he's on death row in jail, you know what? Mercy is when this guy is given, uh, his whole sentence is commuted. His death sentence is commuted to life sentence. But grace is when he gets a royal pardon. He's released from jail. He gets a tansri ship. He gets a free bungalow detached house. He has a bank account that's stuffed full with a million dollars. He's got a chauffeured car. He's got a pension for life. And you're like, this is ridiculous. This is scandalous. This is too much. This is stupid. And then you realize, oh my God, that's what I have received from God. For another person, I'll say, that's so stupid. That's, that's totally ridiculous. But when I receive it, that's what you have received. The forgiveness, the total forgiveness, remove your shame, remove your condemnation. That's grace. And so when we are in God's kingdom, although we fall short of the cultural core values, we still hold our head high. We actually deserve to be evicted. But no, there's a fundamental underlying, unchanging, divine constitutional principle that safeguards us against the law evicting us and safeguards our rights. And therefore, the constitution of the kingdom of God is grace. Can somebody say amen? How many of you, you're blessed to be in God's kingdom? Lift your hand up, wave it in the air. You are blessed and I'm blessed to be in God's kingdom. Somebody say amen. It's because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And when Jesus has done on the cross for us, what is unclean become clean. You know, in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, when a person came across, a Jew, Jewish person came across, uh, touched a leper or a woman in a menses or a tax collector or a Gentile, they were all regarded as unclean. When a, a, a Jewish person who was ritually clean touched the unclean, he became unclean. But in the New Testament, you see Jesus. When Jesus, who was clean, touched the unclean, the unclean became clean. And that's what happened. And that uncleanness that becomes clean is a cleanness forever. The leper was healed forever. The guys, you know, the woman with the issue of blood was healed forever. The guy who came to know the Lord was changed forever. Let me tell you a story. There was an American uh, writer by the name of O. Henry. I mean, how many of you have heard of this man called O. Henry? A short story writer in America. And he lived um, many years ago. There's one young man here who's heard. But if you ever pick up books by O. Henry, they're, they're not very thick books. They're short. Short stories. And some of the short stories are four, five, six pages. That's it. Each story. But he was a brilliant master storyteller of the short stories. He lived at the, um, at the end of the 19th century into the early 20th century, right? Until the end, beginning of last century. He tells a story 
in a story called The Last Leaf about a young girl who had contracted pneumonia and was dying. You must understand those days, no antibiotics. And she laid in a bed, you know, and her life was, of, of was uh, wilting away. And she, well, I was just wasting away out of her. And she was dying, you know, with a raging fever. And she used to look at a tree that was outside her bedroom. And one day led to another. A week became another week. She saw that the tree was slowly being denuded. The leaves are falling. It was autumn. So one, you know, the leaves were falling out pretty fast until, and then she came to a conviction that just like the tree, she would die. And, when, and she came to a strange conviction that if, for, when the last leaf fell from that tree, she would die. And nobody could shake her from the conviction. Now in the village, there was a painter, a master painter. And that master painter had said all along, he told everybody in the village that the day before he dies, you know, if, if ever he came to his death, he would paint his masterpiece before he died. That would be his masterpiece. He doesn't know when, he doesn't know how, he doesn't know what the masterpiece, but he would paint it. And uh, he was a good friends with this girl. And so he came to visit her that day when she was really wilting away. And in her weakness, she pointed to that leaf that was on the tree. And you say, you see that leaf out there? It's going to fall tonight. And then by tomorrow, I'll be gone. And she had that unshakable conviction that was always going to happen to her life. And the painter, you know, you know, you know and tried to comfort her. And then he left. The next day, when a girl woke up, she was amazed that she was still alive. And she asked her mom, her mama, to draw the curtain so she could look at the tree. And sure enough, that leaf on that tree had fallen down. But this was a strange sight. In the place of that leaf was another green leaf. And he was amazed. And that green leaf, over the next few days, in the next couple of weeks, it never fell. Even though the storms might rage, even though the winds beat, it, it just remained. And slowly, this girl recovered. And she, she recovered her full health and she lived. What she didn't know was that the painter that night, after seeing her, decided that he would go and paint a leaf on the street. So taking all his, uh, his colors and everything, he climbed a tree at night. And, and it was rainy and you know, it, was, it was cold. And it was a night's work. He was totally drenched the next morning, but he had painted a leaf on the tree. And a piece of a cloth, he had painted it. And it looked so real. And he had stuck it on the tree. And true enough, that morning, when the last leaf fell, this was the green leaf that was staying on. But he caught a cold as a result of that. A chill. And he died of pneumonia. Two, three days later. And now, this is the picture. You know, but this is the picture. But here's the point. He said he would paint his masterpiece one day. And on the day that he painted his leaf, that was his masterpiece. This masterpiece saved this girl's life. But it cost him his life. And what is Jesus' masterpiece? You. Me. We who have the kingdom of God within us. We are his masterpiece. Can somebody say amen to that? And that's why we live today. If that's the masterpiece and, and, and the constitution is grace, what is the DNA 
What is the DNA? What is it that we all have in common? That we, that's all common to all of us. That makes us participants, partners, citizens of God's kingdom, His sons and His daughters. It is the Holy Spirit within us. The Holy Spirit is the one who gathers us together, who gives us the conviction that we're sons and daughters of the living God, who gives us the conviction that Jesus is our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit that teaches our spirit to cry, Abba, Father, and calls God our Father. What marks us out? It's the Holy Spirit that tells us we are sons and daughters of the living God. You know, you look at any household, look at your children when they're having meals with you, or you look at your parents if you're having meals with them. You know, how do they know that you're part of the household? Well, they saw you get, being born. So they know you must come from that same gene stock. And if they really want to check it, they will check, you check your blood and you check your DNA. And they found that that will be true. You know, and some of the genes flowing through actually are so strong that uh, I will tell you the story. You know the story of my mother. My mother was, was born one of two identical twins, but they were separated at birth because my mother was given away. And they only found out about this very much later in life. And when, you know, by some by stroke of luck, you know, just by coincidence randomly, they linked up with each other in their 60s. They saw each other for the first time in their 60s. But when they look at each other, you could not tell the difference between the two of them. Exactly, they would look exactly the same, 60 years old. And yet, when they came together, they just embraced. It was almost like embracing, you know, yeah, their, their own themselves. Because it was like, what was, what? I mean, they're not, not, they don't have any relationship, you understand, 60, 60 years, they've never seen each other, never knew each other existed for, you know, and then they saw each other. What was it? The DNA. They could see it in each other, the DNA. And uh, one day my mother rang me from Penang after this had happened, and then um, I picked up my phone, spoke to her, and we chatted, and I was telling her all about things that was happening, and then there was sort of a lot of laughter, and I thought, why is she laughing so much? And then I realized the two of them were playing a prank on me. I was not speaking to my mom. I was speaking to her sister. But her voice was identical. What's the DNA that makes us identical? What is it? It's the Holy Spirit. Your inner witness. I'm a son of God. I'm a, I'm a daughter of God. I'm greatly favored. You know, highly favored. Greatly blessed. Deeply loved. I am who God says I am. God is my Father. Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit makes Jesus real to us. It's that he gives us the inner voice that cries, Abba, Father. He convicts us of sin and the need for a Savior. He assures us that we are saved by the blood of Jesus. Are you saved? Yes. How do you know? Holy Spirit within you. He helps us in our prayers when we don't know what to pray to God sometimes. And he gives us size or language too deep for words. He empowers to work miracles. That's what I've been talking about. Kingdom authority and kingdom power. He assures us that kingdom authority and kingdom power belongs to us because of what Jesus has done on the cross, because he's invaded and overcome the kingdom of darkness. Somebody say amen. That's what you've been hearing for the last few couple of weeks, kingdom authority. That's why miracles and signs and wonders break out in your lives. It's part and parcel of inheritance. You're not just the pastors, yours. That's why you must live it and not allow the devil to hoodwink you and rob you of your inheritance. And the Holy Spirit works the gifts of the Holy Spirit in us. What are the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Prophecy, tongues, interpretation of tongues, discernment uh, of, 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 of spirits, you know, miracles, teaching, leadership, hospitality. All these are gifts of the Holy Spirit. He gives it to us so that we may serve God. 
And as we grow in our lives, the fruits of the Holy Spirit come within our lives. We become more and more like Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit doing that work within us so that He builds our character, love, joy, peace, patience, meekness, faithfulness, and self-control. This comes into our lives as part and parcel of our change. And that's why the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 14, verse 17. What is the summary of what the kingdom of God is like in terms of his DNA? This is what it is. Let's read it together. Ready, go. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. Turn to your neighbor and say, not eating and drinking, huh? The kingdom of God is not eating. Eating and drinking helps in our community, but it's not eating and drinking, okay? Much, it is uh, our cultural preoccupation. So the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but, let's continue, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Oh, I love that old African Calypso song that goes, you know, uh, you know uh, righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Ghost. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's the kingdom of God. Do you want to be in the kingdom? Do you want to be in the kingdom? Do you want to be in the kingdom? Come on, everybody. Wow, I love that song. So I would just tell you that when we do this and we understand that the Holy Spirit gives us that witness, it's the same. I travel parts of the world, every part of the world, whether I go to Africa, whether I go to Australia, I go to UK, I go to Europe, I go to America. What binds us and bonds us together when I see somebody who's a stranger? Holy Spirit, we both love Jesus. We both have a relationship. We both cry to God, Abba Father. Even if we can't see, have the same language, we be in our own language, Abba Father. That's our DNA. That's the DNA. The world will never understand this DNA. The world will look at our externals and say, what's it that joins this church to, you know, the other church? Say, oh, maybe it's the instruments. Maybe it's the liturgy. Or maybe it's this or behavior or that behavior. Maybe it's a Sunday service uh, at this time in the morning, Sunday morning service. It's Sunday. No, it's the DNA. It's the Holy Spirit. Okay? When we know that culture, then we form a community. Somebody say community. Our kingdom community is the church. Somebody say amen. But of course, the, the kingdom of God is bigger than the church. Because the kingdom of God is bigger than, you know, it, it's more than just a local church. But the way we see the kingdom of God marked out engage, influencing our lives and affecting it and we grow. It's a local church. It's a community to which we belong. The kingdom community is us, okay? You and I are part of the kingdom community. Amen? We're a kingdom community. What is a kingdom community? It's a people committed to worship together, love one another, serve together in whatever way the Spirit of God leads us so that we make Jesus and His kingdom known to the world. Somebody say amen. That is a kingdom community. We worship together. We love one another. We serve together. In whatever way God leads us. Why? We want to make Jesus famous. We want to know His kingdom, His kingdom to be in, in the world. We want to show His glory. How is He going to do that? Through us. That's why we're in the kingdom and community. See, the kingdom and community is where Jesus is king. Another way of putting it, where love is preeminent, where everyone is welcome. Everyone. Imagine where you've got background. Or your race, or your gender, or your culture. Everyone is welcome. Where the gospel is proclaimed. And every Sunday we proclaim the gospel here. And where we reach out to society to bless, influence, and to transform it. I mean, this is like a picture of those of us who, who you know, not many people could go out during a pandemic. But we were there. At least in our limited capacity, but we were there. Because it's what the kingdom of God is. You see, 
Many people, especially now, talking about now that what, the, what has the pandemic done to the church? It's quite devastated the church. You know, many churches, for example, are not in their returning size. Anything near the capacity the Skyline is having. We're enjoying it. We're blessed. But I will tell you that this is not the case for the church globally. Yeah, as an average out. Why? Because somewhere in the pandemic, we began to individualize our faith. We became to just cocoon ourselves to just receive our weekly ration of God's truth and worship and the spiritual encouragement. You see, Christianity may be an individual faith. It is in one sense because you need an individual decision. Somebody say amen. Nobody can make the decision for you to open your heart to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Nobody can open your heart for you to enter into God's kingdom. You have to willingly ask Jesus to come in. It may, be, it may be individual in its start and its faith, but it is not individualistic in its faith journey. We need a community. Somebody say community. Okay, we need a community. The church plays an essential role in the spiritual growth and effectiveness of every Christian. Listen to me. The church plays an essential role. Essential. That means non-negotiable. Okay, non-negotiable essential role. Not necessary. Essential. The church plays an essential role in the spiritual growth and effectiveness of every Christian. In other words, if you're not linked in the community, you compromise because it's essential. Something is missing. It's like, for example, you miss out on an essential vitamin. You know that. Supposing you didn't have vitamin C in your diet. Well, nothing will happen for a while. But eventually, a year, two, three years down the road, you find your teeth rotting, your skin, you know, getting bleeding, you're getting infected very easily, all kinds of things come in. And in the old days, sailors without vitamin C died of scurvy. They died. Lack of vitamin C, yeah, you better believe it. It's the same. It's essential that we come back to the kingdom of God, to the church. The, play, the church plays an essential role in the spiritual growth and effectiveness of every Christian. That's what the Bible says. But here's the point. The, converse, the reverse is also true. The Christian plays an essential role in the spiritual growth and effectiveness of every church. In other words, if you don't come back, church will be weak. The church cannot reach out. The church cannot grow. The church cannot do what God has called it to be. The kingdom cannot, community cannot function. It's both and. Can you see amen? Do you understand what I'm saying? And I'm saying to everyone right now, you're blessed because we, we can worship here. And so let me just tell you, about two post-pandemic dangers that God is telling us as a church, we need to really navigate right through. I've said it before, but I'll say it again. Number one, the first post-pandemic danger that has entered into the minds and the hearts of believers today is that Sunday is now no longer absolute. It's relative. It's relative in the sense that when we come towards Sunday, people are not thinking that church is the main thing and only thing or the major thing on their mind, they always are thinking, what else can I do on Sunday? It's become relative. For example, you know, they're like, you know, they're, they're, as they come towards the weekend, they're like, oh, Tesla is holding a promotion in one of the malls and Sunday morning uh, into the midday. Let's go. What? Can you not go to Tesla after lunch? No, but you know, it's relative. Sunday is relative. Sunday worship becomes relative. Oh, we've not been to Kudat. We've not been to Port Dixon on Cameron Highlands for a while, if you're in West Malaysia, or some other resort. You know what? Why don't we go this weekend and take the kids? 
Last time, there would be no doubt that we would just come on a Sunday as a family to worship. But now, it is no longer absolute. It is relative. So how important is Sunday? Well, Sunday is what? There's nothing magical about Sunday, but it is the agreed day in our context, in our culture, in our nation that we meet in our particular state, okay? Acts 20 verse 7 tells us, on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, as we gathered to break bread, Paul began to talk to them. This was the church service that was described in Acts 20. So from here and from passages like that in the New Testament, we know the church chose to meet on Sunday. Now, there's nothing magical about Sunday. Why did they choose to meet on Sunday? It was the first day of the week. Great way to begin the week and, and commit to God and worship God together and encourage one another before the week starts. Here's the second reason. They could not worship on a Saturday because it was a public holiday. Why? Because it was a Jewish Sabbath. And many of the early Christians are Jews. So cannot worship on a Saturday. So they worship on a Sunday. But here's the point. Sunday in the New Testament was not a public holiday. In the early days of the church. It was a full working day. That's why when you read the New Testament, almost every worship they had to, they went to, it was at night. How inconvenient. Very inconvenient. But there was a great time, you see. So they came to worship. But now, it's convenience. How important is Sunday? It's important because that's a great time we meet. You may belong to another state in Malaysia where you have to you know, like Kelantan and Tringano, you can't worship on a Sunday because it's a working day. So you have to worship on a Friday or Saturday. That's fine. But that's a great day. You come together. The point is not that Sunday is magical. But the relativization of one day we have agreed to meet as a family is what is causing the problem. We relativize the Sunday. I, I, you know, it's not important. So if I want to come this Sunday, I come. I don't, don't want. Now, some of you, you have family here. Supposing your parents were to say to you and your grown-up child, Thursday night is the night we all come for family dinner. And of course, that's important. But supposing you relativize Thursday. Now, there's nothing magical about Thursday, but it's just the convenient time the whole family comes back to eat with your parents because you're all grown up, you're all your own family, you're working, but once a week the family meets. Now, there's nothing magical about Sunday, but it's, it's magical, it's important because that's a great day. But supposing you choose, I choose any day I like. I'll come and visit my parents. When I, it's Thursday sometimes, sometimes Tuesday, sometimes Wednesday. Guess what it does to the family? Something dysfunctional begins to happen within the family. And guess what it does in your relationship? It challenges your relationship within the family. Of course, your parents will never disown you. You know, if you don't attend, you are still a member of the family of God. We love you. You're still part of the family. You'll always be part of us. You're still part. We love you. But somewhere along the line, you disconnect. And therefore, in so, in so doing, you de, you relativize that connection that could be made. And your, your family has lost something. You have lost something. And in the long run, it does neither the family nor you good. That's why the Bible tells us, don't relativize Sunday. That's the second thing that the pandemic has done. It's relativized the kingdom community. The community now is relative. Why? Because it's much easier to sit in the comfort of my home and just watch it. And just, you know what? Because community is relative. It's not absolute. I would tell you community is absolute. It's in the New Testament. The church or the ecclesia is a called out people who gather physically in assembly to show they are called out of the world. They gather physically. Everywhere you go, you read the Bible, they gathered physically. 
They didn't gather by just exchanging notes long distance, you know. I hope you meet here. Uh, you know, we are in the same city, but, you know, we are meeting. As, at the same time, we just worship God. You know, I in my home, you in your home. Never, it's not, no such thing. It was a physical assembly. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers, and many wonders and signs were being done, and they were selling their possessions and distributing the proceeds to any who had need. It's physical gathering. So the church is meant to be a learning and praying physical assembly. It's meant to be a miracle happening physical assembly. It's meant to be a loving and serving physical assembly. It's meant to be a worshipping and praising physical assembly. It's meant to be an evangelizing physical assembly. And here's the point I'm trying to make. Did the church, was the church ever tempted not to meet, but just to exchange long distance scriptural notes, you know, spread down the city. We worship all of God at the same time in our house. Uh, you know, but, but we know spiritually we're all worshipping God at the same time. We just exchange notes and encourage each other and send. Did the church ever do that? No. Not in 2,000 years of its history. It had opportunity that it needed to do that, but it never did that. What's the proof? You go to Rome. You walk in the undergrounds of Rome, around the Colosseum and all these other areas. You will find catacombs. Catacombs were the places where the Christians were persecuted in the first century AD and second century. They hid. They dug these things in the ground so that they can worship God together. At the risk of their lives. Not just so inconvenience. At the risk of their lives. They never stopped gathering. And 2,000 years of church history tells us the same thing. Whether you're in China, it was the underground church. Whether you're in North Korea, it's a forest somewhere. Whether it's you in some country, you know, that, that would persecute you to the point that you will actually lose your life. 2,000 years, the church never stopped meeting physically. Suddenly, the pandemic came. And now, we are faced with option. And we say, maybe we could. Because this is a good way of just connecting. Because we cannot connect like now. I would lovingly say, lovingly say, you know, and humbly say, it actually is a threat to your existential substance of being a Christian. It's an existential threat. Not just a convenience threat. So we should really move from living out of Christianity based in the closet and based on convenience and comfort. Because it truly is an existential threat to the church and to our spirituality. And as I close, you know, let me just tell you what I, I sense the Lord is saying. The Lord said it to me, um, you know, in, in, in recent days. You know, for one thing, I just said, Lord, whatever it is, I love all those people who are watching us online and are not back. They are part and parcel of the family. And just I want to say this to you, you're greatly loved, you know, deeply loved, greatly blessed, highly favored. We love you. You're part of our family. I'm your pastor. No problems with that. You know, but please, I humbly say, come back for these reasons that I've enunciated. And the Lord said to me one other thing, call them back. So why I'm doing this is not because I, deep down feel, you know, are we going to make up the church numbers? Lah? You know, we're going to get more people serving. I honestly would tell you, no. I've not gone down that route. I've decided never to go down that route. But in my quiet time, the Lord said to me, call them back. Because I'm going to do something in this church. I'm going to bring revival. I'm going to catch a fire. But it's almost like this. It's almost like, you know, but I want that a fire of God is already beginning in this church. Can somebody say amen?
Come on the, on the Tuesday night and join us our prayer meeting. You know, the leaders and anchors prayer. Just, just come. If you feel you have a, you know, you have a passion and a stake in Skyline, just come. Just come. The leaders and anchors are going to be here. We're going to have a great time together. There's a fire of God that's burning in this church right now. But God says, I want a bigger fire and I can only start that fire and I will start that fire when I get them back. So God is waiting. So because God says, I'm waiting for them to come back. As a pastor, I say, come back guys. Come back. As a pastor, I say that. I say it lovingly. Come back guys. Because God's going to do something mighty. And don't be left out. Because He wants to include you. He loves you. He wants you to be part and parcel of the kingdom community. Somebody say, Amen. All heads bowed, all eyes closed right now. Wherever you are, you're listening to this, you know that Jesus loves you. Whether you're online or on site, Jesus loves you. And today He's calling out to you. He wants to fill you with a fresh fire, a fresh hope. He wants to break every yoke that's over your life right now. And He says, My son, my daughter, will you open your heart and invite me into your heart? Because when, I, when you do so, I will become your king and the kingdom of God will be within you and signs and wonders and breakthrough will follow you in your life and miracles will happen in your life. Right now, to my right, to my left, to my front and the back. If you say, Pastor Philip, pray for me. I want to open my heart to Jesus. Will you just lift up your hand at the count of three? Okay, don't worry about a person to your right and left. God is speaking to you right now and you online. Are you ready now? You say, I want to open my heart to Jesus. He's waiting and knocking on the door of your heart. Will you open the door of your heart? If that's you, at the count of three, will you lift up your hand right now? One, two, three, just lift it up and I'll pray for you right now, wherever you are. If you're here and you're hearing this for the first time, God is speaking to you. If you're online as well, you can lift up your hand and then scan the QR code right now on the screen in a short while. Anyone else? Anyone here? You have never given your heart to Jesus, but today you want to open your heart to Jesus. Just lift up your hand. And if I don't see the hand, wave it at me. I'm just waiting for a few seconds more. If there's none, Lord, I just thank you that everyone here understands what the kingdom is and everyone has opened their hearts to what the kingdom must mean for them and they know I praise you and I thank you for that. So right now, but right now there's one other thing I want to do. I want to say this one word that God is, is doing right now. You can look at me right now because the revival fire God wants to bring is coming into this church. And God is saying to each and every one of us, I want you to be a channel of the revival fire. Somebody say, Amen. How many of you want that? How many of you want to be, have to be a channel of God's revival fire? I tell you, the fire is not just for yourself. The fire will heal your, your ailments. It will heal your sickness. The fire will give you a breakthrough in your physical being. God, God fire will lift up the oppression and the yoke over your mental space right now. The fire will set you free. The fire will cleanse you. The fire will fill you with a fresh passion for God. The fire will fill you with a faith for God that you may not experience. Some of you, you know, we are praying this morning and God says, there are many dry roots. They saw a dry plant in the ground and, and you know, it's like in the Middle East, there was dry roots and God spoke to us this morning. He said, I'm going to send the latter rain. The former rain is the first three months of the year. The latter rain is April in the second quarter of the year. Somebody say amen to that. That's the word of God released. So God wants to rain on those roots that are dry so that you will flourish and you will have leaves springing up and you have fruits. How many of you want to be fruitful in your life? Can I see your hands? Wave it in the air. Come on. This is what God is saying to you. If this is you and you want to be an agent for revival, I want to stand up on your feet because I want to pray for you right now, wherever you are right now. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Oh, hallelujah. I sense the Spirit of God here. We are in kingdom life together. Somebody say kingdom life. Somebody say revival. 
Somebody say fire. God is going to make you an agent of revival and revival fire. But this is what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God, Jesus said, is like a mustard seed. Some of you have faith just a small bit. God says, never mind. I'm not looking at what you have now. You just have to be willing to give it to me. And I will make it flourish because I'm sending the, the latter rain. And that rain will water your roots. And that rain will break the yoke over every oppression over your life right now. And right now, Jesus says, right now, if you have faith like a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, what is the mountains on your life? On your family, on your circumstances. You can say to this, it's the season that's coming, the latter rain. You can say to this mountain, be you removed, be cast into the sea. And don't doubt in your heart what you say. It will be done according to what you say. You say it. It's your inheritance. You have kingdom authority. You have kingdom power. And the mustard seed is a sign that this will happen. So I'm going to ask those guys to come out. Come on, guys. Come out. Yeah. Come on out with your with a mustard seed right now. In a short while, I'm going to give you a chance. No, no, no. Just stand there, guys. So just stand there. In a short while, I'm just going to ask right now, if you want to be used as a, by God, to be an agent for revival. You want revival to come to your heart. This is what I want you to do. Step out of your seat. Come and take a packet of mustard seeds. Why mustard seeds? Jesus says you need to have faith like a mustard seed. And this is what you do. You take it and you plant it in your house. Okay? It doesn't need to be anything special. It's a small plot of land. A small, a small pot with some soil. That's all you need. But make sure you water it. And as you speak, you speak faith over it. Speak life over it. As you, you pray for it, you see the shoots coming up, begin to pray and thank God and begin to ask God for this faith because it's the latter rain that's coming upon your life. Somebody say amen. And right now, wherever, you know, as we sing the song, you know, because God is going to cause, a, a, you know, revival, He's going to do something supernatural and miraculous in our lives as we sing this song. Everyone, you just come out, if that's you and you want faith and you want to be an agent of faith, you want the fire of God, you want revival, step out. Come and take the mustard packet of the seed and go back to your seats. But don't leave because we're going to pray together before the end, okay? Get back to your seat and we're going to pray together. Thanks for listening. This is the Skyline SIB podcast and stay tuned for the next episode. Visit our website at www.skylinesib.com and say hello. Drop us a prayer request or leave us a question. Want to know what's up and coming with our church? Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. It's Skyline SIB. Let's connect. God bless and have a great week.